Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we're also joined by Mary Hunter. Many of you will know Mary already. She joined us for our Listen and Learn audio course, the Introduction to Behavioral Analysis. And we've invited Mary back to just revisit some of the topics that we talked about in the online course. And uh, Mary, I gather that you want to start us off not so much with horses, but with gardening, which is something that is very near and dear to my heart as well. So gardening, how is that relevant to horses and to training and behavioral analysis? Yeah. So when we decided to record this podcast, we all wanted to catch up with each other. And so I've been thinking about some of the new things I've been doing recently and they don't relate to animal training, but I'm realizing that there's some important lessons there for animal training. So one thing I thought we could talk about was, as you said, gardening. So for those of you who don't know, I live in um, North Texas and it gets pretty hot here in the summers. You know, we have days on end when it's in the nineties and then also multiple days when it's a hundred, 105, um, et cetera. So I never did really any gardening growing up. My parents never had a garden, but, you know, I always liked the idea. I thought it would be fun to grow my own food. And so I'd say probably over the past handful of years, I've tried several times to grow herbs in the summer, notably cilantro, because we, um, we cook a lot of Mexican food and cilantro is probably one of my favorite herbs. And so, um, you know, May or June, you go to the, the gardening store and they have all the little seedlings and starts out that you can purchase and take home with you. Um, and you, there's these cute little plants and um, at least three or four years in a row, I tried buying several cilantro plants and then I would bring them home and um, either plant them in pots or plant them in the ground. And, and they would die. <laughs> you know, I would, and I would be sad. And, and finally I gave up and, and I talked to someone, I don't know, maybe six months or a year ago. And this person told me that cilantro really likes cooler weather when it gets above 80 85 the plant starts bolting and just gets often gets stressed and unhappy especially if it's in direct sun and you know so i i thought back about it and i'm buying these plants in june when it's already you know it's it's already our daytime temperatures are already in the 90s and then when it gets to july our nighttime temperatures hardly get down to 80 you know so i thought about that and i just had this realization that you know this the gardening stores all of these novice newbie gardeners like me the gardening stores just setting us up to fail yes um and I know, I know there's other things they're selling that do grow better in our climate, but for some of these plants, you know, for someone like me who doesn't know what I'm doing, 
I have this idea that I'm going to buy this plant, take it home, and it's just going to flourish. And the environment and the conditions are completely wrong. And after doing that three or four times, it just extinguished my behavior. And I decided, you know, I'm not that good at gardening. You know, this is not the right hobby for me. And, and I gave up, you know, so that got me thinking about how we often do that, I think, to our animals sometimes. And we do that too, to new learners, new people learners who are new to clicker training. You know, right. we, we find starting points or approximations that are completely wrong for what the learner needs. Yes. And, and you, you think about, you know, especially with the new learner, it doesn't take much to become discouraged and convinced that this is just not, not a path for you, not your cup of tea. And they're just like you were trusting the garden center to be selling things that would work for you. That's a huge responsibility on the point of being a trainer to say, I need to present material that I think will work for you. Because somebody who's brand new, they're trusting that the information that you're giving them is going to work. I think cilantro is hard to grow <laughs> because I've tried it a few times also, and I have not had a lot of success. We do have, um, I didn't know about that, the cooler weather that it needs. And we do have hot summer here as well. So maybe, I don't know, why is it, you know, maybe in Mexico when the time to grow it is during the winter? Well, you know, I was reading again uh, recently apparently cilantro can tolerate temperatures down to like even 10 or 20 degrees. So I think for our climate, I probably should be planting cilantro in maybe March, <laughs> you know, and then if we have a freeze, bring it inside maybe, but, but, but planting it in June is just, just crazy. But, but, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying, Alex, you know, I think, especially for you, you know, maybe we can think of the plants as like behaviors, you know, yes. it, I, I would like to go to the, the gardening store and have them say like, these are the really easy ones that you should buy if you're brand new to gardening. You know, these are the yeah. ones that yeah. maybe if you have a little bit of experience, you can buy instead of separating them by like veggies and herbs and, and mm -hmm. indoor plants and other things, you know, maybe they should separate them by things like that, especially these larger stores that are getting just all sorts of people coming in, um, or even if they had things like that on, on the tags. One of my very favorite garden catalogs does exactly that. I mean, the re and the oh, talk about great reading when you have a really good garden catalog. I know some people read cookbooks, but I read garden catalogs, and you just oh, sort of drool over uh, some of these these descriptions in a well written garden catalog and they will they will write out you know oh, you know this is this is one that has very narrow conditions under which it will grow and can be really challenging and you know and, and I really appreciate that and when I did the vegetable garden this year my assumption was that the varieties that were in the local garden center were tried and true and mm -hmm. things that would grow. So I was making, it's interesting, Mary, because I was making the assumption that if they were selling them in the local garden center, that they were tested for this region. Yeah. That they wouldn't be selling 
a variety of tomato, for example, that wasn't going to grow well in this climate zone. And for the most part, I would say that that proved to be the case and that as I gain more experience and I'll become more more experienced with vegetables because whenever there was a patch of sunshine in my garden it always seemed to uh, be given over to flowers not vegetables so so the growing vegetables is a new new adventure for me and that as I gain more experience that then I'll venture out into the heirloom varieties which I think are for the most many of them are more nutritious and healthier and just more fun anyway. But there is that sort of assumption that what is being provided is good, solid, general information. But then the, there's also the, the flip side of that is how interesting to experience an extinction process and to really feel what that's like. I think it's very relevant to the horse world because I know that a lot of riding has been extinguished because people started with cilantro and they shouldn't have. You know, in the riding world, I think people start with things that are much too hard. Well, for one thing, they get on and they're told to pick up two reins. Yeah, which exactly. Instead of starting with a single rein riding, yes. Well, they um, shouldn't so even they st- get up on the horse yet. No, but they, you know, they start in the middle of the continuum instead of at the, and so do the horses, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that's the classic of why so many horses, the solution in a certain style of, or, t- or mindset, that's a better word, mindset of training is you know, the horse isn't doing what you want, get a stronger bit, get a stronger bit, get Mm. an even stronger bit. So Mary, as you're thinking about this, what was it like, you know, to be on the receiving end of an extinction process? Well, you know, it's hard to, I have to think back because this is, this is one or two attempts a year for several years. Right, right. I would say the first couple times, you know, I just thought, oh, I didn't water the plants enough. Oh, you know, I did something wrong. Or, you know, maybe I just got bad plants. But then after, you know, after I tried growing the cilantro several times, it just was frustrating, you know, because you you expect for the plants to grow, you expect to have the plants, and then and then you just watch them wilt. In in some ways, it's also made me think a little bit about the the growth mindset and the the fixed mindset work oh yes carol dweck's work can you talk about that maybe alex can you give us a short intro to it and then i can tell how i think it relates to this so carol dweck is a stanford psychologist and one of the concepts that she's talked about a lot is the growth mindset and the fixed mindset so in the fixed mindset you believe that certain traits, certain attributes are basically you're kind of born with them. Mm -hmm. Oh, this person is really smart. This person is really funny. This person is really tall. You know, they're sort of all equated. And that if if you're not athletically gifted, born just with that athletic talent, well, too bad go take up knitting. You're not going to, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to be successful. Mm -hmm. And, and so the fixed mindset really get, keeps you trapped, basically. The growth mindset 
believes in possibilities. Mm-hmm. So it, it believes that what you are today is not necessarily where you'll be tomorrow. And she's done a lot, some, some interesting studies on how you can shift from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset. Basically, it's aligned with the idea of neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. you know, where we used to believe that the number of neurons that you're born with is is all that you that you get, and it, and through a lifetime. Instead, we know that the brain is throughout your life. We're building new neurons. We're building new neural uh, synapses. That there's enormous possibility for growth and change, and learning. So a bit like nature or nurture. Yeah, and then she there was the interesting, the really interesting study, where. Uh, see if I can do this quickly. Some researchers divided children up into two groups, and they, they gave each set of children a series of tests. And so the children were brought one by one into a room where they answered questions on the test. And the tests were, uh, the first one was sort of like an, an IQ test, and it was geared towards the age level of the children, and so that they would basically be most of the children would be very successful answering the questions. And so when they got all done, they would watch the researcher grade their paper, and then the researcher would say one of two things to the children. In the first one, he said, you did really well, you must be really smart. Mm -hmm. And in the second one, he said, you did really well, you must have worked really hard. Then they gave the children several more tests. Mm -hmm. In the next one, they, they gave the children choice of tests. So they said, you can have, you can take one of two tests. You can take this one, which is very similar to the one that you just took. Mm. And so you'll probably do really well on it. Or you can take this test, which is much more challenging and we don't know how well you'll do on it. Mm. And then they gave them a third test. I think there were four tests in all, but my memory is, is not pulling up the third test. So they gave them, when they did all this, they, they ended with a fourth test that was very similar to the first one that they took. Mm-hmm. And what they found were, were a couple of interesting things that the children who were told, you must uh, be really smart, they consistently chose the easier of the two options when they were offered the choice of test. Mm. And the children who were told you worked really hard consistently chose the more challenging of the two tests. Mm. And when they, oh, and then, oh, I know what the fourth test was. They gave them, or sorry, the third test. Then they gave them another test, which was hard, which was beyond the capability of the children at that age Mm. level. And what they found on that test was children who were told they must be really smart quit sooner and reported that they didn't like it at all. They didn't enjoy the experience. And the children who were told they must have worked really hard stayed at it longer and said that they enjoyed it. So you have the children who were told they were really smart chose consistently the easier option and they gave up sooner when things got hard. And then when they did the fourth test, what they found was that the scores on the children who had been told were really smart, they dropped by, I want to say, something like 20%. 
and the children who were told they had worked really hard, their scores went up by 30%. So there was a huge spread at the end Mm. in terms of the results. And so what Carol Dweck was saying is you really need to be careful the words you use because they have a powerful impact on the performance that you get. So when you you tell someone they're really smart, that traps them Mm -hmm. because now if they choose that harder test and they fail at it, then your perception of them may change. Mm -hmm. You know, and so if they're building up a worldview of I'm really smart, they're not going to want to engage in activities that might challenge that perception, that might disprove that perception. And so they will become really cautious in in the choices that they make. Just as the person who's who's where you keep saying, oh, you're so athletic, you're so athletic, often they don't achieve to the level that you would expect because they get trapped by that mindset. And whereas when you say to the child, you did really well, you must have worked really hard, then that creates a very different outcome in terms of their perceptions of themselves and their willingness to take risks. Right. So it was it was it's fascinating work. Mm-hmm. So Mary, how does that all of that relate to gardening? So one thing that I think is really interesting is uh, well, number one, I've actually been reading Carol Dweck's book this fall, so I've had that in the back of my mind. But I think gardening is one of those things where people often have a fixed mindset towards it. And you just think about the expressions we have, you know, we, she's a green green thumb. thumb. We say people have a green thumb as if they're naturally good or naturally bad at gardening. And so I've, I've been thinking about that in relation to like my experiences and how, because one thing that uh, Carol Dweck does talk about in her book is that your mindset may not be universal you know you may have a fixed mindset for math but a growth mindset for basketball or whatever it may be so but i think your early experiences with a subject matter or you know any sort of activity or domain and the extinction or reinforcement you experience probably helps create your mindset so you know if you try something two or three times and the the very first two or three times you try it you fail miserably because the the criteria is too high i think you're going to be much more likely to say this doesn't work for me i can't do this and and have a fixed mindset towards it whereas you know if you have several good early experiences with something and get reinforcement and you know you can do it and you know you're learning, you know you're getting better, then even if you have a few uh, failures or things that don't work out later on, you're more likely going to say, you know, that was just a hiccup. I can I can continue. I can keep going. So, you know, I think we either, both when we're working with human learners who are new to clicker training and when we're working with our horses, I think we're often eager to get to the big things or exciting things, but we have to, we have to remember that those early approximations and those early successes are really important, not just for teaching behaviors, but for just creating, you know, an attitude towards learning that's going to help the learner for for the rest of their life. Does she talk about 
attitude towards failure? Because I think that's important too. Yeah. I, well, while, while, while you're trying to think of that, I think, you know, I would jump in with saying, I think that's in part why targeting is such a great starting behavior because the horses are often very curious about the target and will come over and touch it and then you can click and reinforce it. And I, I just love all those those emails and posts where you see people saying, my horse is so smart, which, you know, not a Carol Dweck statement, but it's all right. We'll, we'll let them say, you know, say that rather than my horse worked really hard. He touched the target. But there are all these exclamation marks after and it's underlined, underlined because they're feeling this enormous degree of success. And it also makes me think of another book that's been on the the reading list that that we've talked about a lot, which is The Talent Code. And in that, uh, one of the things that, that, um, and and I'm blanking out on the the author's name, you can help me with that, Mary. Oh, well, the talent, people can look it up, The Talent Code. He talks about- Daniel Coyle. uh, Different- Daniel oh, yeah. Coyle, thank you. You know, I was trying. I was thinking Daniel Coyle was a different book. It's I not googled Daniel it. Coyle. Thank you. <laughs> ah, good. Oh, you're fast. That he talks about different kinds of teachers who who are important in the development of great expertise, and that often the first teacher is not the one who is teaching the say the the musician the the great technical skills but is that that very sort of the kind grandmotherly encouraging you know you're doing great you're doing wonderfully you're working really hard who who provides the encouragement needed to make you feel successful and then you move on to that very exacting taskmaster who you know splits and splits and splits and says do it again that wasn't perfect enough but you're ready for that exacting taskmaster and you thrive on it in part because the formation you got from that first very loving teacher set you up well to be resilient which relates then to Dominique, to your question about failure, is how do we build a resilient learner so that even when when they do fail, they don't collapse? Right. And that's that's a really important one. And I was thinking, Mary, as you were talking, I wonder it's I wonder if there's a difference between so with the cilantro, <laughs> this was an event that happened once a year. You failed. <laughs> growing cilantro but then it it only took three or four iterations of that before you were ready to quit and and not grow cilantro again and i wonder if there is a difference between something that you encounter the conditions on an infrequent basis that extinction does that relate to how quickly extinction occurs so for example if you have a a horse who needs a veterinary uh, medical care and the horse is resistant to the medical care and you're thinking you know I ha- I have to get I have to I have to give you this uh, paste warmer or you know whatever it is but it's it's something that you only do once a year once every two or three years will you quit sooner in terms of 
asking nicely, will you extinguish faster than if this was an event that occurred on a more frequent basis? Don't know. Yeah, I think it, it may depend on other factors as well. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if we could. It would be a hard yeah. one to pour. <laughs> one one <laughs> interesting one with the gardening, though, that I think relates to the extinction process is that that I think the the gardening behavior may have extinguished quickly too because you have to be patient with the gardening. You know, you buy these little plants and you know, you have to water them and nurture them and wait for them to get big. So, you know, in some ways there's a big there's delay a de- there's a delay before for, you get either punished yeah, there's or a delay for the reinforcement. Yeah. And and you're not sure if it's especially if you've failed once or twice, you're not sure if it's going to work or not. So you're at the gardening right. store, you've failed several times. You're looking at this item which could be reinforcing but may not and because there's that delay and that ambiguity i think it it becomes easier to walk past it and to not even not even try but now you're willing to maybe try again because this person said do it in well March. actually <laughs> um <laughs> so so i i am gardening again now that resurgence so I, no so i had i I found my good approximation. So I have a friend on Facebook, an, an acquaintance I know from college. And earlier this year during the pandemic, so in like the spring and early summer, he was posting photos of some hydroponic gardening that he does inside. Um, oh. And I said, oh, that, and he had all these beautiful plants he was growing and he'd post photos of these salads he was eating and all the herbs he had and things like that and and so I got curious about this and as you all know because we were talking before we started recording we recently moved to a new house so I I didn't want to try anything new indoors until we moved but in September when after we moved and got a little settled in I bought and set up a small little indoor hydroponic garden unit. What fun. And you, you literally, I'm, I'm going to describe to you literally what I did. I took it out of the box. I plugged it into the wall. There's these little pod things with seeds in them. I popped those into the holes. I poured water into it. And then there's a little bottle of plant food. I poured two capfuls of plant food into it. And three weeks later, we had, we had salad greens. <laughs> and, and, that was, and that was it. And they were good. And because of that, you know, that was a good, that, that, especially given my history with the cilantro, that was the, the, the very beginner easy approximation that I needed. Yep. And since then I've expanded to some other things as well that are a little bit more complicated than this really basic unit. So we have some lettuce growing inside right now and several different types of herbs. And I even have some kale that I planted outdoors because in, in Texas, you can plant kale in the winter outdoors here. So, and the plants are growing and they're doing well. And I'm, 
reading and learning, but, but what I needed was I needed an approximation that I could be successful with. I'm going to interrupt us here. It's the holidays, and I know people are busy at this time of year, so a shorter podcast may fit better into your day than one long one. There's lots more to this conversation, but I'll leave that for another time. And this really does seem like a good spot to stop. I'll let you think about this piece. When you are venturing into something new, you want to find approximations where you and your learner can experience success right away. You and your horse may be an experienced clicker training partnership, but now you want to venture into a new area of training. It's so important to think about this reminder from Mary. We want to start with a simple approximation. What's that first toe-in-the-water step that you can take so that you'll feel successful and you'll continue on? Maybe the one thing your horse has said no to. Absolutely not. I'm not doing that. I'm not playing this game. Maybe that first thing is cooperating in medical care. You've made a few stabs, no pun intended, at helping with his needle phobia. Or maybe it's taking a dose syringe without a huge fuss. Maybe that's what you'd like him to accept. And your first few attempts have been very much like Mary's attempts at growing the cilantro. They've ended in failure because you started too close to your desired outcome. You've put yourself and your horse into an extinction process. And now you feel as though, oh, we just can't be successful there. But let's rethink that. Mary's finding success as a gardener. How could you find success in teaching this new piece? What would be an approximation that would get you started? You can hear from Mary's experience how important this is. She's well on her way to becoming an enthusiastic gardener. So what approximations would do the same for you as you venture into a new area of training? And if you're an instructor, or perhaps you're sharing clicker training with a friend who's brand new to it, this is very much something you want to keep in mind. You want that early success. It's so important because that's what builds the confidence that this will work and that it's worth exploring in more depth. Dominique and I certainly enjoyed catching up with Mary. So next week, we'll bring you part two of our conversation, where we'll be carrying on with this metaphor of gardening and seeing where it takes us. It's definitely going to take us to some interesting connections back to horse training. And remember, we're having a holiday special on our Listen and Learn audio course. That's an introduction to applied behavioral analysis. Mary was our guide for that course. She's so very skilled at describing what can be very complex head-spinning concepts. And what I always find so helpful is she can then relate them back to the dynamics of real-world training. Why are these concepts relevant? And how does this help us with our horses? How does it help us understand why we're seeing the behavior that we're currently getting? And then how does it help us sort through that to find a really good training solution. You can learn more about the course at equiosity.com. So stay safe, 
stay well, and enjoy your horses.